Thank you. In, in fact, we should, Peter, call this uh, a talk on the Kalama Sutta. Because you're asking the questions about this. And by the way, it's good to see you again. Haven't seen you in a while. And uh, I really enjoy our talks together. Yeah. And so uh, before I get started, though, give me a brief uh, description again of what your question is. Yeah. Um, um, what I want to talk about is that to to have the dare to use your own reason in terms of practice and understanding the Buddhist teachings, because the issue I was coming along is that reading the suttas, I find the Buddhist teachings to be very straight and clear, but still I find myself doubting whether my understanding of it is right or not. And there are so many teachers on Buddhism, good as bad, who have many different advices on training the right way. But the question is, isn't the right way to read the suttas and thereby what the Buddha actually said and then create your own understanding? And lastly, tell Bhante as a teacher um, your own investigation of the teachings. And so the teacher can tell whether you're on the right way or not. Mm -hmm. Okay. Well, like I already said, talk, we can talk about this in the sense of the Kalama Sutta, that the Buddha actually went so far as to say, even the old books that you can read, and now in our present day, it's his own books. <laughs> and he says, even the books that you read, do not take them as... Um, the, the truth, that in fact, in the Kalama Sutta, the Buddha lists about 10, I think. Now, I don't think if I can remember all of them, but it basically has to do with don't believe it or take it in or accept it because you've heard it around mm. or that you have um, that is common knowledge or that it comes out of a particular tradition or that it comes from a particular teacher or tradition or does it come out of some book someplace nor are we to think and i've got up to six now nor are we to take it from uh the perspective of it fits in with what i already know that it sounds logical to me. This is also uh, one of the reasons to not do it. In other words, anything, whether it's hearsay or whether it's from a teacher, whether it's common knowledge, whether it's uh, part of a tradition. And I think that Buddha was basically covering all the bases with that. And so he threw in a couple of others to make sure that he was covering all the bases. So then what is it that we need to do? We need to then logically investigate. That's what this is all about, is, is to make sure that you logically understood. Now, in that sutta, the next part of the sutta is where the Buddha talks about it in the sense of uh, rather than, uh, we'll use the precepts as an example, because that's the one that the Buddha used here. 
rather than taking a, a law or a right or a rule or a ritual simply because it's in an old book or because our people do it or because somebody recommends it or any of that kind of stuff, that rule does, uh, uh, does not necessarily mean that it's a right or a correct or a good rule because of any of those things. Just because it's a law on the books doesn't mean that it's a good law. Surely, yeah. All right. So that then what we need to do is to investigate it. And so in that in the issue of the precepts, it seems that if we start investigating the first precept, which is Panatipata, Way Ramani, Sakabadam, Samati Ami, that um uh is the issue about harmlessness or um, uh, taking things that are, no, excuse me, taking the life or taking the breath yeah, yeah. from someone, okay, or, or killing. Now, we can actually immediately begin to understand that by applying it in the sense of the golden rule, in the sense, do I want them to come take my breath away, to put yeah. their knee on my neck? And if I don't want that to happen to me, then it's pretty clear then that if I do it to someone else, they probably won't like it either. And it's probably a good idea then that we can logically think it through, investigate it, and realize that yes, that would be a rule that we would apply because not because it's on the books or because we heard it at a temple or because it's uh, uh, the, the natural uh, way of one group doing it and not another. An example of that is clearly the um, when I was in high school, there was the moral dilemma about thou shalt not kill in the church versus getting drafted to go to Vietnam. Drafted is to to be in the army. Drafted, or... mean, drafted means they take you into the army. You don't ah, have yeah. a choice. Okay. Drafted. Yeah. You come with me. Right. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Come, come train with your weapon so that you can kill upon demand. Yeah. How do we fit that in with uh, thou shalt not kill in the Bible? Yeah. And that puts everybody into a moral dilemma. It's okay to kill when I'm told to do it, but I can't do it because I want to do it. I have yeah. to be told to kill. I understand. Yeah. Okay. So now we're beginning to understand uh, from this frame of reference and in, in this sutta, we can now take that and extrapolate it into the kinds of questions that you're talking about in the sense of what Buddhist teachers to listen to in order to hear what is the right or correct Dhamma. Or what is it in the suttas? And you were absolutely correct in the sense that if we read the suttas correctly, it is actually quite simple, laid out, but almost uh, in another way, sometimes one sentence is so loaded and so profoundly wise mm. that the next sentence we don't even pay much attention to, which is equally profound and wise. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, And so for that reason, we need to read the suttas over and over and over again, because this time I'm reading the suttas, I've, I've gotten over the big surprise that I read in the first part of the sutta, and now I can actually read the second part of the sutta and get even overwhelmed with more surprise. <laughs> <laughs>
<laughs> yeah. And so yeah. look out for that in the sense of the of the suttas that in fact, um, while it appears simple, the reason that it's simple is because it's absolutely correct and reality is fairly simple. Yeah. It, it's when we don't like reality and try to make it change, that's when things get complicated. Yeah. But reality, the way that it is, okay? So this is the way that we're looking at it is so, okay, when they're reading the suttas, we've got additional problems mm -hmm. with the suttas in the sense that uh, there are problems with the translations. And sometimes uh, yeah. the translation problems are so profound that it actually misleads the whole text. Yeah, yeah. And then some people will read that misunderstand it because of the wrong translation and then do it so much and so often that they become experts in buddhism they start to teach and what they're teaching is the misconceptions yeah. that they had because of they were reading a, a bad translation and no one ever bothered to straighten them out yeah, yeah. and sometimes that can be an enormous bother <laughs> Can yeah. you imagine some of the guys who've written all of these books and run great big retreat centers and you go up and knock on his door and say, by the way, Jack, you've got a whole bunch of stuff wrong here. Let me straighten you out. <laughs> See how long that door stands open. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So in that way, we have to recognize that um, there's a lot of misconceptions out there based upon translations and based upon um, people not staying with a particular teacher who did understand. Yeah. This is what happened, I think, with Goenka. I can mm. put it in that realm that he was yeah. in Burma uh, studying with Uba Ken in Rangoon. Yeah. And then the Burmese government started throwing the Indian bureaucrats out of the country because the British had brought them there. And this was the time when Britain uh, was getting kicked out of Burma and Burma was getting their independence. And so they kicked the Indians out, too. So that meant that Goenka did not get all of the training, but he certainly got enough training to get a whole lot of people started. Yeah, and that yeah. would be the Goenka method. And, and since I spent about three years with Goenka, I can walk away from there. Yeah. When I did walk away from there, I walked away from there with the feeling that I'm missing something, that this is not complete. I don't have what I came for, but I certainly did get a whole bunch of stuff that it didn't come for, yeah. which was right and good and proper. And I thank you very much for it, Goenka. And yeah. that's still my attitude, and I still teach things that I learned from him. Yeah. Right? But he didn't teach me what I really needed to know. It yeah. was only and, like if, as a, uh, in architecture, he only yeah. laid the foundation and put in the front uh, and put in the ground floor, and I had to figure out how to build a tower out of it. Yeah. And this is something I was also coming along. I mean, how good is it that you are a person who is who has started purifying the mind, no matter whether your start is right or not, or you on the way to purification, you realize there are wrong teachings to have the point that you started at all is very fortunate, I think. Yes, I agree. One hundred percent. 
There's sure. so many people people who just feed on sense pleasures, good wine, having big cars, but you are you belong to those who you started developing a completely different way. I well, was also coming. Here's something that I can actually share with you, but it'll take a little while to work through it. Mm. But basically, I'm going to get to the point of showing you how the wrong path works correctly. Mm. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Let's start. The wrong path works correctly, and there are several wrong paths, and they all seem to work correctly. <laughs> I don't really get that. Okay. All right. So in order to do that, let's talk about the right, correct path first. So that we can then figure out where things went wrong and how they got straightened back out again. Mm. Okay. So um, the the main point that most people in the West miss that is part of the correct practice is right effort. Right effort seems to be the most key in, uh, ingredient that keeps getting missed out. And that they misapply right effort in several ways. One is, is that people work too hard. And others are that they just don't work hard enough. And that's just in the general sense. When they're not working hard enough, you can call that choiceless awareness. Oh, just sit there and kind of watch the mind. Yeah. Yeah. Or you can work too hard and go, and these things are very, very close together now, and the difference between choices, awareness, and the Mahasi noting system. Mm -hmm. Because the Mahasi noting system, when you get ferocious at the noting, they think that that's really deep meditation, and they're working really hard to note everything. Yeah. Again, one of them's not enough right effort, and the other one is too much right effort. Yeah. But they're exactly the right amount of right effort is in the point that the Buddha is making that one's right effort is to change unwholesome thoughts to wholesome thoughts. And yeah. that is the 100% most important point that is missed in the Western practice. Yeah. And, and the sense that the noting, both the choiceless awareness, it means to be aware of whatever's happening and don't make any choices about it, which means normally the mind is going to be absolutely full of garbage, absolutely full of hindrances, absolutely full of all kinds of things. And they're just going to kind of choicelessly watch that. Now, the yeah. way that they're actually trying to train the students is to choicelessly uh, be aware of what reality is. Yeah. But they can only do that correctly if they have cleaned the mind out yeah. with the hindrances. Yeah. Other than that, they're acting, they're actually act adding a bunch of unreal junk that then they have choiceless awareness about. Yeah. Which means that now they're choicelessly letting in a bunch of crap. <laughs> yeah. All right. So that's the danger with the choiceless awareness. But on the other side of it, the noting. Which mm. is basically the same thing. It's sort of uh, the Mahasi noting is sort of like hardcore version of choiceless awareness, to where yeah. we're really in their noting. But again, what the noting is, it's the noting of uh, whatever is there in the mind. Yeah. Okay. So those eventually will give real problems. Back to the point about right or correct practice is, is that by applying intentionally the Eightfold Noble Path right from the very get-go, 
we recognize that one's right effort, in fact, is the right effort to remove the unwholesome thoughts and to put wholesome thoughts in the mind. Yeah. Yeah. This is the right way to practice. Okay. So just for a short time, we'll talk about it in the sense that the Mahasi method, by them noting and noting and working really hard and going really deep into it, they're doing a lot of noting of garbage. Yeah. <laughs> they will put there will come a time when all they've got left is a bunch of garbage. Yeah. This is when they in the 16 stages of insight, they reach about stage six. Yeah. Which is where they become uh, repelled by the stuff that they're seeing in their own mind because they're so good at noting, they're noting it and they're seeing it and they're seeing it right to its very depths and it becomes quite fearful. Yeah. It becomes miserable. It becomes disgusting. And the students can go into despair, which then that despair is like the dark night of the soul. But yeah. in that despair and the dark night of the soul comes the next stage on there, which is the strong desire to get out of this. Yeah. That means that now there's the waking up about the dukkha finally. Mm. And then the next step is the redetermination. Mm. This is now step 11. The redetermination to rid the mind of the garbage. Now, people can practice 20 years. Yeah. And then go through this dark night of the soul and become so disgusted with what's going on. They say, I got to get out of this shit. And then they go. <laughs> yeah. And they've got the skills to do it because they've been practicing this mindfulness and this noting for so long. Now they're beginning to take the right effort to throw that stuff out. Yeah. But they don't have to wait 20 years. Yeah. And some of them don't, you know, they can do 50 years. Some of them may never get out of it, but I may am saying that it is quite possible yeah. that somebody can practice the Mahasi note method, practice it well, practice it diligently, and go right into the depths of hell. Yeah. And then come out of the depths of hell as a champion. If they can <laughs> go through that, they can go through anything. <laughs> Okay, and so finally they begin to add that fourth element of the Eightfold Noble Path, and that's the right attitude. If I can punish myself that much, if I can feel that bad, if I can do that much damage to myself and survive it happily, then I can survive anything happily. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So this is that quality then that uh, of the path. Now there's another kind of path that just um, doesn't have any path much to it at all, and yet it seems to work. Mm. And that is in the case of the young man who come becomes a monk because of family pressure, and he joins the monkhood and he starts to live like the monks. He starts to do what the monks are doing, but he's not really interested in practice or meditation or anything. Ah, yeah. And he's not really interested in the Dhamma or anything. He's just kind of interested in hanging out at the temple and doing what the monks do there and that kind of mm -hmm. stuff. And he kind of stays in it. Yeah. Well, because he is, in fact, in the company of nobles, the nobility and the noble uh, behavior and the high qualities of the monks that he's around begin to rub off. Just mm -hmm. like lounge lizards rub off on the bar flies. And what is lounge lizards? I don't know that. A lounge, a lounge, um, um, 
a bar is where they serve alcohol. A lounge yeah. is an expensive place where they serve alcohol. Ah, okay. <laughs> yeah, I see. <laughs> the bar flies are cheap. The lounge lizards are well-dressed, but they're still all alcoholics. <laughs> <laughs> now I get it. Very funny. <laughs> okay. So that's the whole point is, is that the young man is not associating with lounge lizards. He's not associating with bar flies. He's not associating with his family. He's not associated with crooks. Yeah. Or ordinary business people who's associated with the highest quality of humanity that have worked pretty hard to get themselves into that shape. And guess mm. what? It rubs off. <laughs> 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 and so after about 20 years, he becomes noble simply because he's in the environment of being noble. Yeah. And the same thing can actually happen, in fact, with the meditator who is actually living in the temple and practicing the Mahasi method, but he's still living around nobles. And so you can put the combination of those two things together and you can recognize that even when you're practicing wrongly, you still get the right results. Even if you're not practicing at all in the right environment, you're getting the right results. Yeah. The nobility. Yeah. That the quality of it is is the mind noble is it in fact free from the desires to go back to that precept of harming other people yeah yeah okay well i don't want to harm him i just want to teach him a lesson <laughs> <laughs> well isn't that kind of harming because he does not want to learn that lesson yeah <laughs> okay and so the real noble mind is the noble mind of, I'm not going to try to teach the Dhamma to anybody who doesn't want it. Yeah. If he thinks he's already got it, then we don't want to teach them that mm -hmm. we can share what we know together without having to step on each other's toes. That friendliness is, in fact, the more important quality of the noble. Yeah. So that it's okay for the noble to be around those that are not noble. Because he knows that the nobility, if he's around them, will kind of rub off automatically. That's, in fact, what happened around being just being around the Buddha was enlightening enough. Yeah. Just being around people who have a spark and, and they'll, they'll light your fire. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so this is also the issue that we have to look at. Now, let's go into a deeper part of the question that you were asking. And that yeah. is, that okay, now that we know these things about the Dhamma, how yeah. am I going to know for myself for sure that I'm practicing correctly? Yeah. The answer to that is, again, through the investigation. Yeah. The investigation is, is that if I gladden my mind, does my mind feel gladdened? Yeah. Okay. And that's, a, well, that's a good point right there. If I'm merely noting, does my mind get gladdened? Mm. Not likely. All yeah. right. So this is the way that we begin to look at it is through that investigation, we recognize that if we know that we're heading in the direction of the goal, then we're going rightly. This is the way to go. Continue in that way, the right path. All right. As opposed to an adjustment to the path. That that's what I was talking about with Goenka is that I knew that what I was getting from Goenka was right, but it needed an adjustment. Yeah. 
Okay. Okay. And that's adjustments that I got. It was a whole handful of adjustments with Bhikkhu Buddha Dasa. That in fact I recognized that in fact, um, this whole point that Goenka and the Mahasi method and the Choices Awareness group are are missing out is this issue of right effort. Mm. That you have to change your thought pattern. You have yeah. to intentionally change your thought pattern. You have to intentionally start deciding what is wholesome and what is not wholesome. And yeah, once this, we... yeah, this Go is ahead. exactly the issue I was coming along. Um, my my question um, at the beginning of our talk was to do your own investigation, and I was investigating right effort, and I didn't really invest uh, right effort to me was not really bringing up a wholesome thought in terms of thinking of a great nature or how how good my health is or something but right effort to me was much more bringing up smiling of the mind like how good this mindfulness is how good to find the path or how good to practice and this is exactly what i wanted to talk to you about is doing this investigation of what is right effort to me, what is my understanding of right effort, and then telling this uh, investigation to you, like now that right effort to me is more a smiling of the mind when practicing mindfulness, feeling or how good mindfulness feels, and how good it is to develop the mind to found the path and yeah, really starting this new life. And mm -hmm. yeah, this is basically exactly the question we were talking about. Uh -huh. <clears throat> so you're using the word smiling. I like that. A better yeah. translation than the word gladdening. I use the word gladdening in the mind because that's in the translations. But the Pali okay. itself would be uh, pointing more to the direction of brightening the mind, lifting yeah. it up. Okay, uh, I was getting that. And okay. smiling it is exactly that context. Of yeah. getting the mind into a bright, smiley kind of place, a smiley yeah. face as yeah. an icon for the mind, rather than uh, <laughs> yeah. uh, all of the other icons that we have thoughts to, to bring us into, yeah. like angry thoughts or sad thoughts or, or doubtful thoughts. And we can come out of those. We do not have to have those kind of thoughts. But we have to know that we're having those kind of thoughts in order to be able to change them. So this is yeah. where the noting really comes in, even in the early stages, but the noting has to be done in the sense of an investigation yeah. to really yeah. investigate. But mm. we don't have to note in the sense of writing or taking notes. Yeah. yeah. And we don't even have to make it into language that we can look and looking remains looking. We can. Um, there's a phrase in the suttas that we can use here. And that is that the scene is merely the scene. The herd ah. is merely the herd. Yeah. The cognized is merely the cognized. Okay. Mm -hmm. Or the touched is merely the touch. This is what we mean now about the investigation can be merely the scene. And we don't have to give ourselves a story about it. We can just see it. Yeah. Yeah. And if we get into that frame of reference, then instead of seeing and telling a story and then seeing a little bit more and telling a long story, now we begin to see and to see and to see and to see. 
This yeah. is much more of the way that we're looking at it, to investigate in that way without having to tell ourselves a story or not. But yeah. this also, that investigation is to, to investigate, is this thought worth having? Yeah. And as you get better and better at this investigation, you're getting higher and higher quality thoughts out of it. Yeah. So yeah. what we used to thought think was just an okay, okay thought. Now we wind up thinking that that's a junk thought. It's not worth the effort of having when I could have really nice thoughts instead. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. This is your investigation. And this is the part that the Buddha is talking about that becomes the most important quality. Mm -hmm. There is an additional quality that is also useful. And that is the quality back to the point about being around nobles. And that is talking about the Dhamma, discussing it, the Dhamma, yeah. putting your point of view out about the Dhamma and getting other people and talking about the Dhamma so that the mind is now immersed into the talking about the Dhamma as well as the practicing of the Dhamma. And this is also very helpful in clarifying so that one student can help another and point this out and, and whatnot like that. Yeah, and then and then the next one, which is exactly what we're doing here, and that would be between two of uh, the the teacher and the student. Yeah, but then that actually changes around in the sense that because the student can see for himself his own practice that he learned from the teacher, he can now go back and relate that with the teacher, in yeah. order to get even a more solid understanding. But this is the correct practice. Yeah, and then exactly, we begin. Yeah, and then we begin to back up into the lineage now. That we yeah. go back from me to Bhikkhu Buddha Dasa, and then eventually with Bhikkhu Buddha Dasa, now right back to the Buddha. That this is what the Buddha confirms. This is what Bhikkhu Buddha Dasa teaches. This is what the teacher is teaching, and this is what I see for myself. Yeah, and now look at how many pieces of evidence that you've got there that all match together that make yeah. this thing really solid. We know it. We know it because we've dug into it and we've repeated it over and over again. In fact, the, uh, the point now to make is the issue of repetition. Mm -hmm. That in all of the cases that we've been talking about so far, the number one ingredient that they all share in common is repetition. Yeah. Okay, in the, in the correct practice, the repetition would be to keep reminding ourselves to take a look at what kind of thoughts we have and to throw those thoughts out if they're unwholesome, repeating that over and over and over and over again. Yeah. Okay, that would be like uh, picking the leaves off of a tree. As soon as you see a leaf, you pick it off. As soon yeah. as you see a zit on the face, you pop it out. Yeah. <laughs> okay. That's the uh -huh. way that we do it. In fact, the word asava in the Pali, that's what it actually means. An outflow, a canker, a pus pocket. Yeah. And we and we pop them, we pop a pimple one at a time. When we see that dude, <laughs> out it comes. Okay. That's one's right effort. We don't yeah. wait till the whole face gets completely covered with them and then have to pay $300 to a dermatologist to do the same thing in an hour that we could have done instantly for ourselves. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay, so now that we understand that that's it, that this is what we have to do is to examine the thing, see the face, 
recognize that this too is a blackhead. This is an unwholesome thought. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Before we met, um, or to say it in another way, um, you really teach me how important this investigation is, like using the brain. Before we met, I was really pretty much most of the time just doing the noting. And mm -hmm. noting feels stupidifying now because you're just becoming uh, a noting person, not doing, not using your brain by doing investigation. But I now learned how important investigation is because you need an understanding of the teaching. You, you need an understanding of your own practice and also mm -hmm. very important to talk mm -hmm. with a teacher about it. Mm -hmm. And I also feel the exceedingly difference uh, before I uh, started talking to you uh, in terms of just noting and being uh, not smiling completely neutral, being just noting what is going on and now having found the, the good thought and the good mindfulness. And like you said, it's not the one fold noble path. It is not just sati. It is three things at one time. It is developing right view, right effort, right mind, right sati at the same time. Mm -hmm. And I and really work together with that. It brings in right attitude. Yeah. Yeah. Kappa becomes number four and it works again. Once you bring that in, now it's a, a, a new kicker. Right attitude actually gives you right effort to yeah. the point that now your effort is really easy because you've yeah. got the right attitude about it. In the beginning, we are, I still have the loser's attitude. So right effort is effort. Yeah. So once you <laughs> get the right attitude, it's not effort anymore. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> There's a song about that, in fact, it, it's uh, out of the 70s, a kind of famous song, but it basically the whole whole song is about that. He ain't heavy. He's my brother. Mm. And the story is about a, 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 a teenage boy carrying this child up a hill trying to escape from the dangers below. Yeah. And, and uh, he ain't heavy. He's my brother. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well, this is how we begin to practice. That's the right attitude. The right attitude is this stuff is not heavy. Yeah. This is easier to do. This is light. Yeah. Okay. So this is not heavy anymore. And that all it took was a change of attitude and the development of a little bit of skill. Yeah. Okay. Now, this whole point about the effort, we can also use uh, language like putting skin in the game or we could talk about it in the sense of a passive versus an active meditation or you can think about the difference between in team sports whether you're going to be uh in the stand cheering those guys making their touchdown or you're going to be out on the field yeah how are you going to be able to get any touchdowns done if you're standing in the stands and that's kind of the noting method is just kind of sitting there watching somebody else's game <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah and that that's also true um in that regard would be like a video game mm. or even watching two people play checkers or two people playing chess or whatever like that that if you're watching someone else play the video game mm. there may be subtle mouse movements that he makes that you don't see 
You may not be paying attention. It may be easy to distract you. Yeah. But somebody who's actually playing the game, they're paying attention. They're in the game. Yeah. They're watching and they're paying attention to it, right? Yeah. Okay, so this is how we have to practice our meditation. You've got to be in the game. You've got to put skin in this game. This is what we mean by right effort is is that we got to actually do something. We got to actually investigate it. And then we got to pull that uh, unwholesome thought out of the mind. And then we have to uh, do this enough to where we have the confidence that we can keep doing this. This is good. We can do this. Yeah, that's that confidence growing. Okay, but it's funny. It's funny that you say that because I was thinking about exactly that point this week. Because um, me becoming a physician, it is stupidifying to see the teacher telling you, ah, the, the arteries are here and there is this muscle. You have to do it by yourself. You have to, for yourself, have to look up how the human body is constructed to really learn. Mm-hmm. And I, it's like you said, like watching the game or do it by yourself. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's exactly what I was coming along. Yeah, so that's where right effort comes in. That's why the Buddha put right effort on the Eightfold Noble Path. And he put it in the place that he did. In fact, the the kind of funny thing is it seems to have gotten rearranged. The Eightfold Noble Path seems to have several different arrangements. And sometimes those arrangements are contradictory or backwards. An example of that is one of the ways that it's spoken of is Sila Samati Panya. Have you ever heard of Sila Samati Panya in that order? Yeah. Okay. That Sila Samati Panya basically is the very, very first step of the beginner. But in fact, the noble practice is not that at all. The noble practice is, uh, is Panya Samati Sila. Mm. Mm-hmm. That's the noble path. The ordinary path for the beginner is sila samatipanya. Here's okay. how that works. First, we have to get ourselves into seclusion. Once we get ourselves into seclusion, like uh, in the sutras, it says, go to the uh, forest, to a foot of a tree, to an empty hut, to a heap of straw, and sit down and bring mindfulness to the fore. That's how it starts. That's in many, many different sutras. The translation often translates as sit down cross-legged, but there's no cross-legged in the actual pala. It's just sit down. But the uh, point is, is that we're in seclusion. That's the important thing, is to get away from it all. At that time, when you're off in the woods or in an empty hut, you are in seclusion enough to where your sila is perfect. How can you kill somebody when you're 15 miles from the nearest person? How can you <laughs> steal a purse when you're 15 miles from the nearest purse? <laughs> okay. So in that regard, in that particular time, Sila comes first in the form of seclusion. Once we do that, then the next thing that we have to do is to get the next levels of seclusion, which means getting secluded now from the hindrances. Hmm. Once we get the mind secluded from hindrances, that's the part of, of Samadhi, when we bring the mind together. Once we bring the mind together, now we can go through what is called uh, not purification by sila and purification of the mind, but now is purification of view in the sense of the purification of view of this is the right practice. I am not what I thought I was. 
Another part of that right view would be I can change. I can be a winner. I am not stuck in my misery. So mm-hmm. it's actually the uh, the right view here is is encompassing to come out of one's um, wrong attitude into right attitude so that we're developing our, our view. This is the purification of the view. The purification of the view actually has uh, right attitude, samas and kappa built into it. Mm-hmm. Okay. Once we have that, that's the sila samati panya. Now, the person is finally ready to drop his diaper and put on some long pants. <laughs> Why? Because now we have the wisdom to know what is the path and what is not the path. Oh, yeah. Right. So now we start over again in a, in a noble practice with the Eightfold Noble Path, and that is the basis of uh, uh, Panya. But now the samadhi comes in the unification of the mind that is put in there with the right view, right uh, sati, right effort, and right attitude. When those things come together, the mind becomes unified. Yeah. So that's the second quality. Once the mind is unified, that means that we're in a state that we don't want anything anymore. Mm -hmm. Which means now I don't have to be 15 miles away from the guy I was going to kill. Now I can be right next to him and not kill him because I don't have the thoughts of killing. (laughs) Now my mind is noble. Yeah. Okay. And so one is, is that we put is kind of artificial in the sense that we put it up as a rule or an escape mechanism. But when it becomes completely noble, it's well. We don't roll that way. (laughs) 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 We we don't roll down that hill. (laughs) And so this is a a new way of looking at it. And this regard then is the more noble way of looking at it. So in the beginning, or many places, in fact, get people confused because it goes like this. They go for um, right view. Samasankapa or right attitude, then they go for the five or the three uh, parts of the part of the path that are precept oriented, including right action, right speech, and right uh, right livelihood, and then they bring in um, mindfulness, right effort, and samati. Mm, mm-hmm. I don't know how the path ever got that way because it doesn't fit any of the models. Yeah. That it doesn't fit Panya, uh, and in fact, it makes it into Panya, Sila, Samati, is yeah. what that path is. Yeah. So the beginner's path is Sila, Samati, Panya. The noble path is Panya, Samati, Sila. But the normal way it's stated is Panya, Sila, Samati. And I don't understand that, that path uh, approach at all. But yeah. in the sutta that I uh, recommend for students, it really does take it into that it's right view, right action, excuse me, right view, right sati, right effort, yeah. bringing about right noble attitude. They run mm-hmm. and circle around each other and bring about uh, a new level of skill. That brings about the right noble mind, the unification of mind, right there in the sutta, specifies yeah. it. And then the sila is later 
uh, starting with right speech, right action, and right livelihood, and it ends that way. Except that it now adds two new ingredients, mm. so that it becomes a tenfold noble path once it's noble. And yeah. that is right uh, knowledge and right mm. deliverance. Knowledge yeah. and deliverance, guess what? We're actually talking now about the English language word enlightenment in the two forms. Mm. Okay. Enlightenment is of two forms. One is to um, to turn the lights on, to have some daylight. Let's look at what this is. So investigation needs light. It needs yeah. uh, to open the thing up, to take a look at it, get some daylight in there. Yeah. And then the second kind of enlightenment is to lighten up. <laughs> Once you see the burden, you can set it down. <laughs> yeah. Once you see the hindrance in the mind, you can set it aside. And so this whole path is not a 20-year path. It's much, much shorter than that. And yeah. that much of the really difficult part of the path is done the very first minute. Yeah. But that same minute happens over and over and over and <laughs> over and over again. And if you practice correctly, you will practice that moment correctly so that you bring all of these factors together over yeah. and over and over again. In that regard, then, the benefit is immediate. Yeah. And so the Buddha talks about that in the sense that this is good in the beginning. It's good in the middle. And it's good in the end. Mahasi method is not particularly good in the beginning, and it can get right down hellish in the middle before it gets good. In the end. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Choiceless awareness, I think, is just off meandering around for the rest of your life as if you weren't practicing at all. <laughs> but if you do that around nobles, you'll become noble anyway. <laughs> <laughs> So this is a way of looking at the practice, and everything has to do with right application of the Eightfold Noble Path. When we really understand how the path itself works, then we can see immediately how it fits into the, uh, to the Anapanasati Sutra and how that Anapanasati is actually the application of these four qualities of right investigation. Uh, to investigate. We have to investigate a whole lot of stuff. The first thing we're going to investigate is the thoughts. Once we get the thoughts wholesome, there's a whole lot of other stuff that's worthy of investigation, but all of it's real. Yeah, yeah. An example of that would be to investigate what is the jhanas? What are these things? Yeah. How? Do, what is uh, the ability to apply the mind to wholesome and keep it to sane, don't wholesome? One wholesome thought after another after another. Start investigating what that looks like. Yeah. Okay, so this is how we uh, we we practice is, is that once the mind is in a wholesome state, there is only wholesome things to look at. And the yeah. number one on the list is, can I, am I on guard? Yeah. Am I on guard? Am I watching what the mind is doing? Am I going to keep it wholesome? Because just the, the easiest slip and off we go, off into the wild blue yesterday. <laughs> <laughs> I have a question to that. Yes. Um, the, you were talking about the jhanas, and my question is, uh, the first jhana isn't 
Is it right to say it isn't something that comes by itself? It can come by itself if you practice the right way, but you can also approach it like that. You can have the Vitaka Vichara by applying the mind to the breath and staying with the breath. And at the Let same time... Let us say time, it this way. Let's say yeah. it this way. And that is, is that the first jhana and the jhana factors are all um, skills to be developed. And there's an overarching skill. And that yeah. are the meta skill. And that meta skill is the ability to bring all those other skills into play very quickly. So that it's yeah. very easy for you to get into the first jhana. That's a skill to be developed. For the in the beginning, it may take a while. It may take 10 minutes. Sometimes it people don't understand what they're doing and they don't get it. But many times, in fact, uh, when students are right here on uh, Skype with me, they can go in and out of first jhana on a regular basis. Yeah. Why? Because we're talking about wholesome things. So we've got the mind in a wholesome state. We're bringing up joy. The students feel that they can do this. And so they get that attitude yeah. that I can do this. And they're right there in first jhana. Yeah. And the question is, is can they sustain it? But you see, they're not using the first jhana because they don't really know that they're in it. But at least mm. they've gotten into the first jhana. But this was the problem with the Buddha when he was practicing the jhanas was he was very, very good at getting into them one after another after another. But he wasn't very good because nobody knew what to do with those jhanas when uh, we got there. Yeah. Okay, guess what we're going to do when we get into the first jhana? Investigation. We're going to note. That's exactly right. <laughs> <laughs> but now what we're going to note or investigate are very wholesome things. And as we yeah. continue that investigation, our investigation skills improve. Yeah. As the mind becomes more quiet, we have fewer and fewer things that are worthy of investigation because there's fewer and fewer things. There are to investigate as we go higher into the jhanas. We leave off with some of the wholesome things that were wholesome in the first jhana, but become a little bit too much work. In the higher jhanas, <laughs> yeah. An example of that is, um, in fact, from the from the first to the second jhana, is when we let go of the wholesome thinking. We don't have mm. to think our way through. We're just sitting there, really, ah. But we don't even have to think the thought. This is really nice. We're too busy actually just experiencing. Is it just really nice? Yeah. Okay. So that's the first thing that is left off in the going from the first jhana to the second jhana is to leave off the wholesome thinking. Yeah. People cannot go into the uh, second jhana from ordinary thought that it has yeah. to be already the mind is so well controlled that it's only wholesome thoughts. So that we yeah. actually what we say is is that when the mind is capable of going anywhere and does. How can you get it to stop? Hmm. The answer is you can't. What we do yeah. instead is instead of it going everywhere, we say, no, stay in this boundary. Mm. And now stay in this boundary. Ah, okay. And now stay in this boundary. Yeah. And now stay in this boundary. And now stay in that boundary. Ah, okay. Yeah. This is how we get the mind into the second jhana, and how we do that basically is by allowing gaps to to build, come in play, interspersed in the wholesome thoughts. Yeah. 
And so okay. we, we began to spend a whole lot more time experiencing these good feelings that we have been able to bring up. Yeah. Once we get the mind in the second jhana now, these feelings, this good feeling that we've been bringing up, this feeling of being a champion, actually becomes almost euphoric. It's, it really is a wow, I can do this. But in fact, if yeah. we actually say that, we pulled ourselves out of second jhana. So that's one of the problems of getting into second jhana is that it's so good. We got to congratulate ourselves and tell ourselves how good it is. And by doing yeah. so, we fall out of it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But once we get into it, now we have to manage this overwhelming exuberance of, wow, look at this. Isn't yeah. this magnificent? Because that wowness, that exuberance, now is energetic, and it's too much work. Oh, yeah. And so going into the third jhana, we let this exuberance melt into just complete satisfaction. Mm-hmm. And then that complete satisfaction in the fourth jhana, we let it that go into just kind of an isness. Yeah. Now, each time what we're doing is we're moving unwholesome states. Mm -hmm. One that used to be really wholesome. It was magnificent yeah. as a wholesome state at one point. Now it becomes a little bit too much. <laughs> <laughs> and then the next one becomes really, really magnificent. But then it becomes a little bit too much. Yeah. And so basically what we're doing is we're coming from great turmoil down mm -hmm. to a little bit of turmoil, down to a whole lot less turmoil, down to the point that now we've got very little turmoil left in the whole being because we've gotten the mind so stable. Yeah. And how we did that was through investigation. One wholesome thing after another after another. That's all we have to do is to investigate the wholesome. Yeah. So when we come out of out of the deep jhanas, we only want to come out of it so far as to come back to the first jhana, because even in our normal life, we want to be free from hindrances. Yeah. That's it. We don't want to go all the way back to ordinary life, that we want to be able to maintain the value of this, is, is that we can actually walk and talk and live a wonderful life in first jhana. That's the whole yeah. point of it. That's what Buddha began to figure out, that even though he had been practicing from childhood, the jhanas, and especially the first jhana, he didn't know what to do with it. Ah, yeah. And yeah. because he didn't know what to do, and the, basically uh, the answer to that question is, what are you going to do with the first jhana? Live your life that way. That's how. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah fine. Don't mess with the rest of the jhanas. You don't need them. If you yeah. can get so sustained and so uh, capable that you're just sitting, you know, just in in a state of euphoric bliss all the time, but you're still yeah. thinking, but the thoughts you think are wholesome thoughts about the Dhamma and about this, that, and the other thing, and you don't have to worry about straightening this or that teacher out because they've got some word out of the poly translated wrong. Yeah, yeah. Because everybody's on the path, man. <laughs> Marvelous path it is. They'll figure it out. <laughs> yeah. In our first talk, you gave the advice to me to start meditating like four times a day, but only for five minutes, five to ten minutes. Mm -hmm. And I, the last week, I really got the fruit from it. Because like you said, now it is possible to experience first jhana in everyday life. And as I was walking stairs up uh, 
up, upstairs, um, I now recognize that I was able to induce first jhana because I was, I've had sati of walking the steps, I've had wholesome mm -hmm. thoughts, and I don't know whether there were all the jhana factors, but I really experienced this oneness or this, this, uh, how can you say that absorption into walking the steps and just being happy without having hindrances? Okay. Um, there's no word for it. We, I guess the only word we could use is wow. Yeah. <laughs> that's the only, that's the only word I know is. It's <laughs> <laughs> almost wordless. Yeah. We don't have a language for it, but in that, in that state, we can still think. It's not that we're out of it at all. We're really, really there. That's the yeah. whole point. With the Mahasi method and other deep meditations, people are not really there. They're really lost in space because they're spending all their time noting. What yeah. we have done instead is cleaned all of that mess up so that now we can really pay attention to what reality is, what's really going on, which has a whole lot to do with sensory input, that we're really here now. Yeah. Yeah. So good. Now you know what it is, and it doesn't take much. But people who struggle with hours of sitting meditation, they don't because the mind gets tired, all kinds of reasons. This needs to be done fresh. Yeah. Every time we can remember, it says, right now is a good moment to take a really deep breath and enjoy this moment. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like you and said, so that, if you have unwholesome thoughts, you can just look away and develop those things you just said. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yes, we could just avert our gaze, just move away from that. Yeah. So what I really like about your teachings, Bante, is that you are an insp inspiration for thinking mm -hmm. by yourself to use this investigation and not to become a robot who's getting a specific program by a teacher and then getting specific results, but um, I really feel that I'm an individual and through your teachings, I really get that investigation. And that is so such a good teaching to me and such beneficial. And I really thank you for that. Peter, thank you for telling me that. And also, I will say that you're also not just talking to me about it, but rather you're mentioning the style. That yeah. education is always best when the ratio between the teachers and the students is um, good. For instance, I have actually had one university class where there were more than 700 students in that class. Mm -hmm. And that most of the students got out of it what most of the students did. I happened to have, because I was in the computer science department and this guy was a physicist, he wanted us you know and in fact we learned to list language and helped him do experiments and because of that i already knew dr sapko so when i took his class it was a personal class i felt like it he and i were there together yeah. never mind 700 people <laughs> okay because yeah. of that that personal relationship i never felt that way with goenka i always felt like he was a distant um individual Mm. But Achan Bo and Bhikkhu Buddha Dasa were really, really up close. Yeah, good friends. Can you say that? Good friends. Oh, I okay. still yeah. consider Achan Bo my very best friend. Yeah. 
And I, I've looked up what edu, you were talking about education and education from Latin educare. It means to guide out, guide out of darkness, out of not knowing. And this is also what I really feel during our mm -hmm. talks. Well, it does have to do then with this one-on-one -on -one, that mm -hmm. if you're in a great big meditation hall, then the teacher is going to be teaching general Dhamma. Yeah. But with you, you can ask me particular questions and I can frame the Dhamma within the question that you're that you're asking. And that's really uh, quite useful. It makes me think. <laughs> 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 but it also presents the Dhamma in very many different positions for students based upon the place that they're at. And so other people can gain great advantage by hearing our talk. But basically, mm -hmm. while we're online together, this is just you and me. Yeah. And so that's that. And that is that spark. That is what's necessary. That is what I got from uh, Bhikkhu Buddha Dasa and Achan Po that I had never gotten anywhere else. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's what was actually the introduction to the Sangha. But once I got that introduction to the Sangha, then when I started traveling, especially when I got into the United States, I began to have that relationship with many of the monks. Yeah. And I could relate to monks in ways that I never was able to uh, to relate to others before. Yeah. It's, it's, it kind of comes with the territory, that relationship with the nobles is, yeah. <laughs> is what you're you're talking about here. Yeah. That's that's what is lineage. Yeah. Yeah. And it goes right all the way back to the Buddha. That I've got Bhikkhu Buddha Dasa at least um uh his lineage traced back to 1860. Okay. Great, yeah. Yeah, we know him because we know Bhikkhu Buddha Dasa's teacher was the Samdet Sangharaj of Thailand from 1920 to 1950. That in yeah. fact, it, uh, the relationship got started because Bhikkhu Buddha Dasa got into so much trouble in Bangkok. <laughs> <laughs> and this guy got involved and then he became Bhikkhu Buddha Dasa's teacher. But Bhikkhu Buddha Dasa already had the Dhamma. That's why he was able to, to have this guy as a teacher was because Bhikkhu Buddha Dasa was pointing out that he knew the noble Dhamma. And yeah. so that, that was how he got involved with the uh, the larger group of noble Dhamma. But this guy, uh, noble uh, teacher of Bhikkhu Buddha Dasu, was the Samdet Sangha Raj of Thailand for many years. What is that? Sangha Raj, the king of the Sangha? Sangha Raj. You know Raja? No, no. You don't know that word Roger is giving gives our world a uh, royal regal. Ah, uh, yes, of course. Sorry, I didn't know the the English term. Yes, of course, of course. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So Sangha Raj is the Pali word for the king of the Sangha. Yeah. And this yeah. and this was who Bhikkhu Buddha Dasa's personal teacher was. Ah, okay. Yeah. He was so Bhikkhu Buddha Dasa was in the very very highest group, the inner circle. Of the monks. Ah, okay. Now I get it. Now, okay. Okay. This the reason that I'm mentioning this is because if Bhikkhu Buddha Dasa had his own weird version of the Dhamma, then he would have not been accepted into the inner core. 
Yeah. Okay. But the fact is, is that he wasn't in, uh, included into the inner core, into the inner Sangha of uh, Thailand. And that that's why there are so many people in Thailand who pay such homage to Bhikkhu Buddha Dasa. That he yeah. was, in fact, the teacher of almost all of the famous teachers of Thailand. All yeah. of them wanted to jump on the boat. Oh, he's my teacher, too. <laughs> and I know some of those guys. In fact, Achan Cha, I met Achan Cha, guess where? At Watch Two and Mo. <laughs> yeah. And where did I meet Achan Sumedo? At Watch Two and Mo. There's actually a YouTube video of uh, where Achan Cha has brought his uh, Western monks down to Watch Two and Mo and has a video given a talk by Bhikkhu Buddha Dasa. This is the kind of relationship that, that they had, that Achan Cha considered himself a student of Bhikkhu Buddha Dasa. I didn't know that. Mm. Very same interesting. Thing, but same thing with Titnahan and the Dalai Lama. That was the station yeah. of Bhikkhu Buddha Dasa. The Dalai Lama actually came to Thailand to visit Achan Bhikkhu Buddha Dasa. Yeah. He made it one time. The second time he tried was already too political. The Chinese government put some pressure <laughs> on the Thai government to refuse him to get a visa. And all they wanted to do was come see Bhikkhu Buddha Dasa. <laughs> Great. <laughs> I definitely so didn't know that. That yeah. that's that's what I gives me such great pleasure of being able to say that not only one do I know for sure what the teachings of the Buddha really are because I have got it from the suttas and I've got it from really noble people, but yeah. then I know the lineage right back into that this is it. And that gives me even higher supreme confidence yeah. that I've got it. I know I've got it. <laughs> <laughs> and that's the kind of confidence then that can be spread. Yeah. Because you know it for yourself, because you practice it, you've seen it, you know the lineage, you know the uh, the suttas, you know the, the history of Bhikkhu Buddha Dasa, you can see the way that I piddle and play with you. <laughs> and you can recognize for yourself that yes, this is actually the way to practice, is not taking things by tradition because you've heard it before, because it's in a book or anything like that, that you want yeah. solid evidence. Yeah. Is that what the Buddha said, Ehi Pasiko, come and see? Come and see. Ehi Pasiko, exactly. Yeah. That, that Pasiko, that's come and see. And see. And see. Yeah. And right. share and tell mm -hmm. it your teacher. Gotta, yeah. Gotta come see. You gotta come see the teacher. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> and the part is then the so amazing part. Mm -hmm. is that he was able to figure this out. Even though it is actually no big deal. Once you yeah. really understand, you say, well, of course, life is like that. Yeah. But the Buddha and you and I were all raised with so much cultural baggage that we couldn't see the clear facts in front of us. Yeah. Because we had gotten, we had bought into so much of the shoulds and woulds and coulds and ought tos. And, <laughs> yeah. And now you're beginning to see through that and recognizing, oh no, I can just sit and enjoy my life. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And also recognize that the teachings of the Buddha are not hard, they are straight and clear. Like I'm currently reading the fifth book of the Samyutta Nikaya, and I 
really feel that the Buddha is very clear just stating what the teachings are. And mm -hmm. but also in comparison to that, the, the book on deities and the Samyutta Nikaya, which is very hard to understand. To me, it's not to understand because I'm not that far in my practice. But there are teachings of the Buddha where you can really get a start with very clear teachings and then investigate and tell you as my teacher what I found out and discuss whether I'm on the right track or not. Well, now you know it. Yeah. <laughs> now you know it. You know for sure because you've been able to see it for yourself. Climbing yeah. those stairs, that was that was enough to give you self more confidence. Yeah. Yeah, now you know you can do it. Yeah. A motivational speak. Mm -hmm. <laughs> kind of. <laughs> That's right. That, but the problem with with most of us are is that because we have had so much of the culture ground into us mm -hmm. hundreds of times a day, grinding that stuff in, we've gotten such bad habits of it that now it's time that we're going to have to go take and polish this grinding away and keep yeah. polishing and polishing. This is what we mean now is, is repetition. Yeah. That we have repeatedly ground things down and made it really ugly. Now it's time to put some nice wax on there. And, but <laughs> now we have to keep polishing and keep polishing and keep polishing and keep rubbing, repeating, yeah. repeating, repetitive over and over and over again. That's yeah. what we have to keep practicing. Because a lot of us have the idea that, oh, I've gotten myself into a great state. This is marvelous. Bye. Yeah. Smell yeah. you later and I'm out of here. And then we forget to practice and all that old stuff starts slowly coming back in. like <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. It's like you said, it's over and over starting this one minute you were talking about on or another time you were talking that you don't teach meditation, you teach liberation. And this is always getting the start, this one minute of developing those things we were talking about. But then the old stuff is coming in. And then you have to start this one minute of liberation again and again and again until those gaps are not that far away from each other, but one wholesome thought after another after another. You got it. That's exactly right. So practice well. Enjoy. Yeah. <laughs> Enjoy. Well, let's finish now. I think that we've gotten it. I'm glad to see you again. Yeah. So call me in about a week or so, and we'll check in again and see how things are going. All right? Definitely. Thank you, Bante, for this marvelous talk. Thank you. This has been quite a joy. I've, learned, I've liked it a lot. Thank you. Yeah, me too. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.